I often say that addiction is the result of not knowing how to find safety inside of yourself. So you find it in something else and understandably you get hooked on it because you're desperate for safety. That's all you're guilty of. Any of you looking to learn more about supporting addiction recovery through a trauma-informed and somatic lens and a nutritional lens, please join me for my addiction circle. This is a bi-monthly, entirely free, virtual circle that I invite anyone here to come and join if they want more information. Addiction tends to be so steeped in shame, and I find that doing this work in a community of people helps to destigmatize that shame so you can see how not alone you are in the experience. So whether you are personally withdrawing, preventing, experiencing relapse, or you work with people who are actively addicted or in recovery, all are welcome. The next Addiction Circle will be held on Tuesday, May 7th at 5 p.m. EDT. This meeting is not recorded for the sake of anonymity. No registration is necessary. Just join through the link below. Hey, my friends, my next virtual somatic drop-in will be this Tuesday at 4 p.m. Eastern. These virtual somatic drop-ins are entirely pay what you wish. You can pay nothing, you can pay $20,000. I strongly encourage the latter. <laughs> These are spaces for us to come into and learn somatic processes together, somatic techniques together, somatic language around trauma, so we can hold space for ourselves and others in a much more effective and kind and safe way. For more information on how to join this, just go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, click on events, and you'll see virtual somatic drop-ins listed there. You can register for free, and then during the actual event, we'll put out a link for donation if you choose to do so. Again, this Tuesday, 4 p.m. Eastern, we'll see you there. Like with a lot of this work, it requires us to go into the nuance, which is difficult. Like we, we, we want to be able to put things in the box and it's easy. Like this is this person's privilege. This person's not. And this is what this person should do. And this is what this person shouldn't do or vice versa. But when we really start to notice the parts of our identity that experience privilege, like I said, there's that nuance. The complexity becomes involved. And so we actually have to slow down. We have to begin to notice in ourselves and in other people, what are the things that they may experience that are, are marginalized? And what are the things that they experience that may uh, be privileged? And then the same thing within us. Welcome to the Holistic Life Navigation Podcast, where we discuss every aspect of life through the lens of somatic psychology, nutrition, and self-inquiry. My name is Luis Mojica, and I'm a somatic educator who teaches people how to find safety inside themselves so they can better navigate this strange and sensational human experience. Your time to learn begins now. Okay, here we are. The last time we the last time we talked together as a team, publicly at least, that was the last recorded one that was released, was with Simone. And it ended with we went into privilege somehow. And I think Camille, you said, let's talk about privilege. And Marika said, I love privilege. And so I'm like, we're, you know, we're already pre-gaming. 
so i think it, i think it's fun to say that and that most people probably imagine this already we have very different views on privilege and the common ones and we have some common ones too but we have a lot of different ones we're going to play with today um because there's a lot more to it than we think right where do we even begin actually i know where to begin camille tell us the difference between privilege and privileges yeah um so yeah uh so for, this is the definition of privilege I use in my practice. I'm not here to say this is the end-all be-all definition, but it is my definition that, that I like to impose. Um, privilege is the aspects of our identity that align with the standard, dominant, or majority culture. Another way to think about it is the aspects of our identity that we don't have to think about. For example, when I walk down the street, when I go to work, I think about being Black. When I walk down the street, when I go to work, I think about being a woman. But you know what I've never, ever, 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 ever had to think about? Being straight. Never once did I have to question, oh, is it safe for me to hold my husband's hand at this park? Are we going to be verbally or even physically assaulted? Never once did I have to question, is it okay for me to use his correct pronouns at work? Or is that going to make other people uncomfortable? Will that keep me from being promoted? Will that impede my ability for success in this organization? I never have to think about my sexual orientation. But there are a lot of people who do. And that's all that privilege is. What are the things that other people have to think about that we don't? So that's why I like to use the term privileges, because like I said, it's the aspects of our identity. There are parts of my identity that experience privilege, and there are parts of my identity that experience marginalization. And in my experience, very, very few of us, and I'm sure there's somebody out there, but very, very few of us only have identities that experience privilege and only have identities that experience marginalization. Ooh, so I'm lit up already from Love parts. It. You know how I get lit up. Parts that experience privilege, parts that experience margin marginalization. Love that. So I, I want to start there because this is why I don't like the term privileged as if it's all of you. Same reason I don't like the term like traumatized, right? Or like depressed. It's like, well, what part of you is depressed? It's the same thing. It becomes your whole identity. Then it becomes an assumed identity for others. So I'm curious. I'm curious about privilege as identity. When we bring in the idea of privileges, how does that start dissolving the idea of your whole self is privileged or your whole self is underprivileged? I'm curious about mm -hmm. that piece. Well, like with a lot of this work, it requires us to go into the nuance, which is difficult. Like we, we, we want to be able to put things in a box and it's easy. Like this is this person's privilege, this person's not, and this is what this person should do, and this is what this person shouldn't do, or vice versa. But when we really start to notice the parts of our identity that experience privilege, like I said, there's that nuance. The complexity becomes involved. And so we actually have to slow down. We have to begin to notice in ourselves and in other people, what are the things that they may experience um, that, are that are are marginalized? And what are the things that they experience that may uh, be privileged? And then the same thing within us. But while there is that complexity, while there is that nuance, and that can be overwhelming, there is a really, really beautiful aspect in that because it allows us to tap into empathy. That is to say, for example, I'll never know what it's like to be um, gay. I'll never know what it's like to be trans. At this point, I don't know what it's like to be an immigrant. I don't know what it's like to be a veteran. Mm. But what I do know, I do know what it's like to be Black. I do know what it's like to be a woman. I do know what it's like to be autistic and Muslim. And so if I can notice my experiences of marginalization, I can then have empathy 
for the experiences of marginalization that may not be my own, but other people may experience. It won't be the exact exact same, you know, it's not apples to apples, but there will be some commonalities. So there's that aspect of empathy. And also, as a person who experiences marginalization, I know what I would like from people who experience privilege in my areas of marginalization. Where could I use support? Where would I like to see people leverage their privilege to support me when I experience marginalization? And with that experience, I can then tap into my own areas of of privilege to support people who have areas of marginalization where I have privilege. I know I said marginalization and privilege a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just hearing syllables at this point. So I think, though, this is good because when you said leverage, the first thing that came up to me is leverage does not equal guilt or shame. Oh, yeah. Let's play with that because a lot of people think, oh, I have privilege. I have to feel guilty or shameful to prove Mm -mm. I'm an ally, to prove I'm aware and I have like an awareness Mm. of these parts of me. Like, tell us, let's let's all play with this part because I would like us to all play with like, okay, how do we enjoy, ooh, how do we enjoy our privilege so we can share it with everybody? Like, to, let's talk about that piece. You don't hear about that very often. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was just saying, very much like bias, like we've talked about before. It is my belief and experience that privilege is not a bad thing. Bias is not a bad thing. They just things that that are. And when we... When we experience shame or guilt about any privilege we may, may have, that doesn't do anyone any good. Mm-hmm. It doesn't benefit anyone for me to feel shame or guilt about any privilege I may have. In fact, that actually impedes me from leveraging it and really showing up as an ally or advocate when I, where, where I might have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to repeat, no one benefits from my shame. Powerful statement. What are you thinking, Marika? What's coming up for you? I think Camille's got this. <laughs> I know. I'm like, if, if one of you don't come in, it's going to be the Louise Camille podcast. I love learning from privilege. Camille. So, um, no, I mean, I also feel like I'm learning a lot because, you know, I'm, um, I feel like I'm from a, an area that <clears throat> it's very black and white about privilege. And, um, and it, it tends to be, I think, based on looks. You know, or if you're driving a Tesla or whatever, um, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a real software, you know, tech heavy uh, area. And um, but that has made me get very. And will make me get more curious about people and how we can do these, this kind of exchange of like what my privileges are, what your privileges are, rather than sort of painting everybody with the same broad brush, you know, Um mm-hmm. Because it's very easy. I mean, you, we, you and I have always sort of joked about my one friend who anytime she's a uh, she's Caucasian and anytime she sees somebody of color, she has to go, white people are the worst. <laughs> like that's the first thing that she says. And it's just wild to me, you know, because it's there is shame in that, you know, mm-hmm. for her. Mm. Um, and so, like, to align herself with, you know, somebody who's woke or whatever we're, we're calling it, um, that's, like, her first line of defense. It's, like, the funniest fawning to me. It's it's wow. perfect fawning, isn't it? Well, mm-hmm. how, how do you feel? Like, how does it feel in your body when she does that? I mean... What happens I'm, for you? I'm kind of embarrassed for her because it's, like, she doesn't see how it's landing with people. But I also admittedly have not, like, said anything to her about it because mm. I'm just, like, I don't really know. I'm not quite sure what I would say. You know, we just did it publicly. 
Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> send her the link to this podcast and be like, you might Hey, there's something I wanted to tell you. I haven't found the words. Do you have an hour? <laughs> Do you have an hour to learn about yourself? Cool. Um, so, but, yeah. yeah. So anyways, that, that was just something that Courtney kind of came up with. Yeah, I mean, I'm also learning. Like, I definitely... Or unlearning. I feel mm. like unlearning. You know? mm-hmm. Me too. The way we're supposed to connect with people or certain types of people, you know. Well, that... you said something important before we recorded, um, just like we're like the way Camille said, like parts of me have experienced <laughs> marginalization, parts of me have experienced privilege. You were saying that, you know, well-meaning people will look at you and based on the color of your skin, just assume that you're under privilege. Can you talk about that experience? People can hear. Yeah, I mean, I got that a lot growing up, which was sort of uh, inner city, that I was an inner city kid or that I needed help because I was, um, uh, because of the color of my skin or whatever. And assuming that I came from, not from privilege, which at the time was just money, like money equaled privilege, right? But I mean, I grew up in in a white family in a suburb you know, and didn't really want for anything. Uh, so it, the assumptions were always very, um, assuming that I was uh, marginalized in a financial way because of the color of my skin. Or even, you know, <clears throat> assuming like what my intelligence was like or what, you know, these types of things. It turned out I had mm-hmm. ADHD, but, um, you know, it not being given the benefit of the doubt that maybe I was a smart person or that maybe I had a fairly nice upbringing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, it was very strange, especially to be one of the only kind of the token, you know. Yeah, was, especially. There was not very many other kids in my school, you know, maybe <clears throat> a couple of Japanese kids. And like, <laughs> I, the joke in my high school was he always had one black person in our high school and it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and they would like they come in ninth grade, and then by tenth grade, it'd be like bye. <laughs> but there was always one, like if one left, one came in. So we, it was like a joke that they had like some kind of program. <laughs> they can only have the one at a time, right? You can only do one. So and also that they, uh, you know, sort of everybody assumed like they're good at basketball or they're, you know, can you rap? I mean, just like that. that yes. Yeah. And I always wondered what their experiences were like. You know. Yeah. Well, so this is okay. So now I'm going to volley back to Camille for a minute, because this is what interests me exactly what Marika, the whole thing she just shared is like, again, when you put things into like such harsh binaries, like there's privilege and there's underprivileged, right? There's like marginalized and what would unmarginalized be? What would you call it? Privilege and marginalized. Okay, privilege and marginalized. So there's privilege and there's marginalized. So what I find actually like harmful unconsciously unintentionally harmful is just what marika said is like you have a story that you learn based on maybe like demographics like the population of people you see or the news you watch or whatever you know political group you run in each side has a different story about the other that releases curiosity and nuance and and invites assumption right so if the idea is like okay this kind of person based on how like marika said based on how you look I'm assuming what I've been taught, you're underprivileged, you're marginalized, whereas this type of person is privileged. That that pigeonholes and stereotypes a whole group of people racially and removes nuance. So can you can you teach us how you hold space for the way identifying privilege as the whole of the person can actually, I don't want to say harm people, but can can like completely push them away without 
being curious, you know, about what, what was actually your background, what were actually your experiences. I'm going to assume this based on these two binaries of privileged and marginalized. Well, I think that just speaks to whenever we make assumptions about anything, like when you lose the ability to connect with that individual and in, in their experience. It is one thing for me to have an understanding of the current social, economic, and political systems that we all navigate is one thing for me to have an understanding of the history, uh, particularly for, for us living in the United States. It's one thing for, for me to have a knowledge of that. And then to make assumptions about how that manifests or how that has impacted the individual in front of me. I can mm. use that as context, but what I want to do is stay in a place of curiosity, not judgment, because that is the difference for me between allyship and advocacy and saviorism. We edge into saviorism when we are in a place of privilege and we make assumptions about what that 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 marginalized experience or community may individual or community may need from us. What we haven't done is really taken done our due diligence. We haven't done the homework to really ask the question. Help me understand your experience. This is my experience with marginalization. This is what I this is what would support me. Um, from people who have privilege in this aspect. Help me understand your, your experience. What is your, your experience with marginalization? What is your experience with privilege and support? What is it you're looking for? What is it you, you don't need? And not every individual is going to have the, 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 the same answer. And that's totally mm -hmm. fine as we talk about with all of this. Um, but yeah, I, I think fundamentally it just takes the back. Whenever we're making assumptions, we're making this big leap, this big leap, and we're mm -hmm. disconnecting from the person in front of us. Well, you answered one of my questions as I was asking it in my mind, which was what you're really saying here is like, tell me your experiences rather than I'm going to tell you what they must be. Right. Yeah. And that's that's a very different step. Like that's like um, that's, you know, there's a curious stance. Like you said, you called yourself a big old pacifist. You called yourself. There's like <laughs> that's like the pacifist stance. And then in a lot of like activist or political circles, you're you're really taught to attach a meaning onto a person that you've been taught about them. And it's, it's just another way, again, of, of labeling or having bias. But there's a vulnerability in curiosity of yes. tell me your story, which might mean it's going to dissolve my story. And like, I think I relate to I lo always love Marika's shares because it reminds me so much of my grandfather. Because mm -hmm. in my family, the only person in my family on both sides that had any financial privilege was my Puerto Rican grandfather that spoke barely any English, dark skinned first generation immigrant and he had more money than the whole family put together so it's like i grew up with a different overcoupling about puerto ricans i'm like oh <laughs> like they're really smart and they make their own way and they have lots of money and they're really frugal you know i had this whole story and then when i went out into the world especially when i moved to new york city and people would tell me their ideas of immigrants be like what what oh you, no you, there's there's all these other people you haven't met over here so it interests me again. This when I when I put someone under a block of you're privileged, you're marginalized. I lose the whole. Like, I love how you said I I lose how the history of a system of a country of even their family, like his lineage, how it lands in that body right now, and that's a big part of intergenerational trauma work that we do. When we think of intergenerational resilience. You may come from this one truth, this one system, this one history, this one place, family, whatever it is. And where does that actual truth, where does that experience land in your body now? How has that been renegotiated? How has that harmed you? How has it liberated you? You know, it's like you never, you never know. Like, like Madam C.J. Walker, you know, like that 
um, how we had her Alilia on. Like you would never know if you didn't know that those were also stories of Black Americans because you're all mostly told the underprivileged story. You're not also told just the resilient story. So I get curious about like our our well-meaning intentions with these terms and how they can actually, like you said, when there isn't shame or pain or guilt around your privilege, how it, it actually creates generosity is, you know, what I'm hearing uh, and, and togetherness and connectedness. What would you suggest for people listening to this, Camille? They're like, okay, I never thought of this before, or even like, I vehemently disagree. This is bullshit. <laughs> what would you, what would you suggest for like titrating this into the body of you might not know someone's privileges until they tell you, like, what's the first step for people that are curious? Um, the first step that I I generally recommend is even before you orient to someone else, orient to yourself. Mm-hmm. So for most of us, we are well aware of our areas of marginalization. It is really difficult for us to know our areas of privilege because having privilege is like breathing oxygen. I've been mm-hmm. sucking up the oxygen mm-hmm. in this room all day. Haven't thought about it once. But I promise you, if there was no oxygen in this room, I would become painfully and immediately aware of it. So we are all very well aware of our experiences with marginalization because those experiences are immediate and they're painful. But take some time to notice, what are the things you don't have to think about? So you may not have ever thought about your age. Your age might be a source of privilege. Uh, your uh, your religion might be a source of privilege. Your health. Um, your health may be a source of privilege. All these different aspects, your body type, all these different things aspects um, that could be a source of privilege. Again, the things that you don't have to think about. The fact that you may have been born in the United States, that is a form of privilege. There are things as a U.S. born citizen that I never have to think about that immigrants do. That's just uh, the reality. And so again, like I was saying, before you even start to think about other folks, titrate into this and notice what are the areas of privilege that just never occurred to you? You Mm. would never stop to sit and think about. Because frankly, these are the areas of our aspects that, that we take for granted. And that's not a bad thing. It's just nothing is, they just aren't things that present obstacles for us. They they don't factor into our decision-making as much. I love that. I mean, it's, it's really more of that practice of making the unconscious conscious. Yeah. Like the, our, our privileges, everyone listening to this, the privileges you have are mostly unconscious to you because they don't hurt. Yes. <laughs> it's like, right. It's just like what we teach with trauma. It's like when people are so identified with their anxiety, it's because, well, that hurts it's big it's in your face like it takes over your your breathing and your chest and your your muscles so it's so loud you lose that subtle safety in your leg or your foot yes it's the exact same thing right yes yeah and, and and i know sometimes people think well privilege is supposed to be like this big thing like oh privilege like i'm uh, no like i'm not walking through the world like oh my gosh i have so much privilege or i'm <laughs> life is so good because i'm straight and cisgender i have so much power because i'm straight and cisgender no that's not I, they're just i don't have to think about being transgender i don't have to think about being gay that's it's the absence of the obstacle it's the absence of the navigation that is the privilege mm-hmm. evan Time for you, girl. <laughs> What's going on, girl? What's going on sure. over there? No, I'm happy. I'm happy to, to jump in. Yeah, um, what's, what are you feeling? No, I really love that. Just the nuance and the spectrum of things that get brought out this way, because I feel like we're so steeped in just the story of binaries constantly um, and kind of reopening instead of being so rigid into 
systems we can reorient to you know how do we experience these things in our bodies how do we experience them relationally um mm. because right for a lot of i feel like for me people see me and they're like oh this is a white man the two binaries and then i feel like a lot of times i have a lot of charge um where we even talked about naming it beforehand i have a lot of charge around speaking publicly being seen um because typically for me there would be a judgment placed on me about within these privileges and then as people get to know me they're like oh he's actually incredibly feminine and oh he's neurodivergent and oh you know he's jewish and all these other things that come into play where there's like a fluidity and it feels more like a shift um yeah and then a lot of those times it makes it more difficult for me to be in certain situations uh, previous workplaces other relationships things like that um so just how much it can change um, contextually and like for example being neurodivergent it's not like it's in some situations for me it's very difficult to be in certain groups because i'm neurodivergent but then in other groups i mean i almost see it like as an asset mm -hmm. i feel very comfortable um and then even personally in my life like there may be some things like new social situations or something like that that are very difficult for me but then at the same time when i'm either by myself or with friends or family i feel so comfortable i feel i feel almost like it's an asset um, mm. i can really see like the beauty in it and not just always be like oh well this is a bad thing see you just touched on something so important to me like our privileges and our marginalized parts shift based on environment don't they it's mm -hmm. like and for some of us like constantly like 10 different times in a day it might be a drastic shift the country you go to the family you're into the house the friends the workplace you know the, how you get to work like so many different places where oh this thing that felt like pain that I felt othered is now this thing that is like an asset people like me for you know like depending on where you are and I get curious about like how well I guess first question Marika, do you have an example of that yourself before I go to Camille about like a, one situation where you might feel uncomfortable because of how your brain works or your body or how you present and then the same thing feels like an asset somewhere else? Um, yeah, like being larger, like a larger person, um, you know, just being in society and in the world where the standard is smaller than me, um, you know, but then when I'm with other friends who are similarly sized, right, um, that I get <clears throat> praised for being um, confident mm. or, you know, or being seen, right? Mm -hmm. Like being okay with being seen, that type of thing. Like being in a bathing suit and my friends being like, so brave. And I'm like, I just wanted to go swimming, <laughs> you know. <laughs> It's so it, it does it is a strange thing because I I vacillate between these two things right like a place where I'm really comfortable and people are like you're awesome and then a place where I'm like too taking up too much space you know not to, or feeling like I am mm -hmm. um, it's kind of the thing that came to mind but I like that I like that where do you go with that idea Camille just like either personally or how do you hold space for that or where your philosophy is around how these are again why privileged is not a fixed state it's fluid based on where you are your situation your age like things are going to change with that what's that like for you how do you navigate in any way you want to share that like one part of your expression in one place feels maybe scary or harmful another place it's like the most amazing thing 
Yeah. So, um, absolutely. I'm so glad this came up because, because privilege and marginalization can be fluid. For example, a, a big example of that is you may have grown up in a lower socioeconomic status, and now you are middle or even upper income. So your your marginalization and privilege as it relates to to finances has shifted. That is a change Mm. over the course of your life. Or you may have converted different religions, or all these different things can happen. Or for example, one of my identities is that I'm Muslim. So in the United States, I don't experience privilege because the dominant religion is Christianity. But if I were to go to another country like Saudi Arabia or Pakistan, where the dominant religion is Islam, I would then experience privilege, although I could still experience marginalization due to some of my other identities. So it is absolutely fluid. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I love that, that we're tapping into is the difference between macrosystems and microsystems. So if we think about macrosystems, we're thinking about um, uh, standard or dominant majority cultures or expectations on a global or country scale, which is really important for us to be aware of. And then there are the microcosms that 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 we we navigate. So again, another example for me is that yeah, absolutely, being black in the United States, I experience marginalization on that macro system. But if I go to a historically black, black college or university, I no longer experience uh, uh, marginalization in that microcosm. Um, so that that is the balance of of, of holding both of those. Hmm. So I, even as you're speaking, I'm hearing, you know, your privileged parts are really relational, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's most of them are highly relational based on the people you're around, the system you're around, the environment, the country, you know, the culture. And, and then there's this, like, I guess it's still relational, but when you're <laughs> the big G word that made Marika throw up into her mouth earlier, gratitude. <laughs> I'm going to say it again. Gratitude. Yeah. Um, And also the way you said it. (laughs) Wait, I need you to tell me right now. In my mind, it was like, like your journey. (laughs) Your gratitude gratitude for my journey. (laughs) No, no, because what you were were saying, Camille, about how um, the, like what you don't see, right? Like I wrote down, you said it earlier. What don't I have to think about? Mm -hmm. Like, any of us to think about like a, a gratitude practice, like especially a somatic one where you're feeling it, it's exactly that. Yes. You, the job is to presence. Wait, what don't I act? Oh my gosh, the light switch works. Yes. Like how many of us turn on a light switch and actually think, whoa, it's a miracle. The wire yes. connected to the bulb and it's fucking <laughs> lit. Like, does anyone realize how far out that is? No, I mean, it's, it's, you it's don't crazy. until you don't have it. Yeah. Until you don't have it. <laughs> right. So yeah, it's that like, that's a whole, this is a whole other level. We get the privilege. And this is why I love privilege as a relate or privileges as they relate to the human world. Like I'm all, mm-hmm. I often talk about human supremacy, human centricity. This is, this is that piece. Is like as humans, we have such, oh my gosh, so many privileges that the animal kingdom <laughs> does not have, that like, you know, natural plant systems don't have because the way we just mow them down without any, there's no lawyers out there, you know, that are like representing the blade of grass that I stepped on, right? <laughs> so like we, we have this like amazing representation across human culture to keep us pretty comfortable. I hit the wall, it didn't fall over, like these are things that we wouldn't even consider. So when I, when I talk about gratitude, I think of like the privilege of, well, both of my lungs work. I just took in some air. I think of like, you remember that water episode I had? I don't know, episode eight. It was super early on in the beginning. And he, um, Patrick was his name, I believe. And he talked about how he had to walk for hours to get like two gallons mm-hmm. of water every day. 
because there's no water in his village. I remember, you know, I always had the the gratitude for water, but ever since he told me that, like every drop of water that comes out of a faucet, I'm in awe of. That's privilege. So I, mm-hmm. I'm just curious also about like how does gratitude and privilege play in? And is gratitude a vehicle toward what you were saying earlier, not having shame or guilt of your privilege? Yeah. So um <laughs> I'm going to drink exactly. my water nice and slow. As well. <laughs> so, yeah, I think gratitude, exactly how you're explaining it, is just the awareness. Like, oh, this is something I don't, this is some bullshit I don't have to deal with. Woo, that's right, amazing. Right. Uh, that, 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 that is really great. Because not only can we then just like, woo, like really be with it and notice our experience. Like, this is something I don't have to be with. For those that do have to experience it. How do I potentially use my identity or my my position to support them or help them? And for me, this is this is why shame and guilt really aren't useful. Because if you're in a place of shame and guilt, which mm. for me is another form of a threat response, you're going to be in a freeze or fawn response. And you're not really doing anything. To, to use your example, Marika, with that individual who comes up and says, oh, my God, white people are the worst. That don't help me. That don't keep my kids safe. Like <laughs> right. what, what I'd rather you do is actually mobilize and, and ask mm. questions. So then how do I use my whiteness to support my black neighbor? Mm. If, if I'm if I'm in a school and I hear somebody say, oh, dreadlocks are against our 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 our, our uh, code of conduct, could I w- leverage my whiteness and raise my hand and say, hmm, can you help me understand why why are we saying that's not appropriate? Right. It feels like that's going to be um, applicable to a really particular group of people. And so for me, that that is the use of privilege. What and this is this takes us to our conversations we've had about responsibility, which I mm. like to talk about as the ability to respond. When I have privilege, that means I have an ability to respond and be received or heard when other people may not. So for example, I work with a um youth LGBTQ um group. I, I facilitate some some sessions for them to help uh, 13 to 21 year olds who are questioning in terms of their gender or sexual identity. But another thing that the organization does is is advocacy, uh, particularly within school systems. And it's one thing for like this non-binary 14 year old with blue hair to go before the school board and say, hey, we should implement this policy or we should we should be um sharing sharing our pronouns. And the whole school board kind of like, okay. I can get up and say the exact same thing and the school board goes, oh, that's interesting. Why? Because I am a 37-year-old cis straight adult. So they're just going to relate to me and receive me different. That is what it means for me to leverage my privilege. How can I amplify what I've heard from this group and their message just isn't getting through to some people? And then can I be the vehicle by which that message is received? Now I have like a devil's advocate question. What if... You don't want to. What if you don't have capacity to? Then you ain't got to. That's the other thing. (laughs) You know, know, give with a joyful heart. If you don't want to do this, Mm. you ain't got to. There ain't no law out there that says you got to be an ally or an advocate. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Because then that's the other thing. If you're doing this begrudgingly, yes, yes, again, you're not helping anyone. But if if you want to, and this is what I always, always try to emphasize in my workshops, I am not here to convince you that you need to be an ally or an advocate. What I am here to share with you, if it is your desire to be an ally or an advocate, this mm-hmm. is what it means to leverage your, your privilege. But you ain't got to. In fact, own that so that other people know how or if they want to be in relationship with you. Mm-hmm. It's like what you said in that episode. You're like, if you're racist, just 
do it so I know not to go to your shop. Please, like, it let makes me my life know. So much don't easier. open yeah. up the sign. Like, don't, yeah, because because a lot of the allyship, you know, there's that term performative allyship. That's just like mm-hmm. uh, that's right under the umbrella of fawning. It's yeah. I think I have to leverage this, or I have to talk about my privilege, or I have to feel bad about it, so you feel good. And I, I mean, when I've when I've witnessed that happening in people, I, I just see. Um, I see, I don't, I wouldn't even say going backwards. I just see a big pause happening mm-hmm. where it's like, it's, it's a big freeze response. Cause the, you know, the thing that's so brilliant about fawning is it mimics connection. It's not actually a connection. It's a mimicry of connection. So the person that is fawning or the body of the person that's fawning, they're not actually having a connection to any of that. They're yeah. just doing something to soothe the recipient, right? Of the fawning. So if if I'm just soothing you through my quote white guilt, what is that doing for anybody? I'm not making Absolutely any not. connection, no relationship. So I guess I get, and I don't know if it's like growing up with, with like a Latino family in addition to an Irish family. I've never had like white guilt. I, I don't know what that even feels like. So it's something I don't resonate with. Similar to Evan, if I walk into a room, people see like like a cis straight white guy. You know, that's what they yeah. they'll, they'll tend to see. And then they hear my story or they read us and they're like, whoa, like you you have, and people have said this to me, like, oh, Luis, you have so much more agency to say whatever you want about all these topics because you are made of so many parts. So I don't know why I'm I'm even going there. I'm just going to drop that there. Where do you go with that? So the thing that comes up for me when I hear you talk about, you know, I haven't experienced white guilt and um, I'm going to try to piece this all together coherently. Yeah, go for it. When we get into a place of guilt or reflexively apologizing, fawning, it can feel or seem like that's the right thing to do, be doing. This individual or community experiences marginalization. I need to be apologizing for it. I need to be just agreeing with everything mm. they said. But in actuality, what that is a signal is that our body doesn't yet have capacity to be with this person's marginalization, their form of trauma. Like you said, I'm trying to soothe it. I'm trying to shut mm-hmm. it down. I don't mm-hmm. want to be with it. I don't want to explore mm-hmm. it. So again, that's just very much like the other, the individual who may be in a place of what we might refer to as like hate or rage saying, like, oh, I don't want to hear about CRT. Mm-hmm. Keep it out of my schools. That's actually no different than the individual who's reflexively fawning or in that place of shame or guilt. Both individuals are past their capacity in terms of being with another person or another community's experience with marginalization. Mm, yeah. I love that. Like they're all a trauma response, regardless yes. of what political leaning it is. It's yeah. like if it's a reflexive, urgent, overwhelming response, it's a trauma response. It's a reflexive, or in, like you just said, there is no connection, no connection happening in either of those responses. Mm. That's important. Yeah, especially that piece. No connection is happening in either of them. I love that because it doesn't matter. It's why you know I I suck at politics because like. I, you know, I have my like interesting leanings based on um not ideas, like policies interest me much more than politics. I don't care what side it is. Like I, the policies would actually interest me, but like, I'm not good at politics because of that piece. Like, I just want to connect. I could give a fuck if you're a Republican. I care less if you're a Democrat. I don't care if you're pro-life. I don't care if you're pro-choice. I just want to connect to you. Mm-hmm. And so all those ideas of what this person must be because how they look, what they believe in, their privileges, their marginalizations, like when marika said unlearning 
these last two years for me have been a huge unlearnings. I never had that in my mind to begin with. Some of it, absolutely. But not to the amount I have in my mind now from being in the public more and like reading things and hearing people's thoughts. So I'm constantly like hearing these ideas, respecting them, and then letting them kind of move through me so I can stay really open and unbiased. And that's like a hell of a practice to not really kind of like idealize or demonize like one group, you know, based on what you're being told. Um, Evan, I'm curious, like, have you personally in your body experienced white guilt? Like, if so, what it feel like, you know, where, where are you going with this, this branch of the discussion? Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like I did for like a, a period of time, especially when it was being so discussed over mm -hmm. social media and I, I was just constantly getting bathed in it. Um, yeah, and I feel like tra like trauma is such a huge part of the discussion that's really often not included. And yeah, I think I, I really just became aware of when you're kind of in that shame space, how it feels. And I felt very, you know, constricted, very low capacity. Um, you know, I would be like invited to go out to a protest or an event and i would just i would be like bedridden like mm -hmm. like i can't even i can't even get up i'm like so i mean i didn't have the words for it at the time mm -hmm. um, but i was just so low capacity that i didn't feel like i could even show up and then i started to realize like if i can't actually show up then what is like what is this like what direction is this taking me and like what goal is this ending if i don't have capacity to if, if the goal is to show up and I can't. So kind of just thinking about that and then kind of even adjusting, like, where am I getting my information from? And how often am I, like, I mean, especially with social media, like, how much am I just taking in what someone is posting as the mm -hmm. word on mm -hmm. this topic? And I'm just going to believe everything that they post and repeat what they say and then go to my family and tell them exactly what this random person I followed on Instagram is saying, <laughs> um, and then kind of, you know, trying to diversify it and even make some space between it to be like, okay, I'm going to see what you say. I'm going to see how it feels with me. And then I'm going to try to, because it, yeah, right. Such, such a big part of this is if you're not connected, if you're in a trauma response, it's the whole thing is connection, um, connection, humanizing other people, being mm -hmm. able to see past judgments and um, all that really gets lost in shame. Mm-hmm. I love that. What do you, where do you weigh on that, Marika, even with your kind of upbringing and such? Like, where do you go with, with your, maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about experiences of white guilt, wherever this takes you that you're hearing. Honestly, it keeps taking me back to story and like how much we and other people, I think, like, um, really go hard for whatever story it is that way that's attached to the identities and, you know, I feel like we all get rewarded for having those stories, mm -hmm. you know, um, and that they're very safe. I'm I, I'm trying, you know, I know we're talking about connection, but it's like, I don't, if someone had come to me with curiosity about my real story, you know, growing up and stuff, I don't really know if I, if I would have appreciated it as an adult, but I'm not quite sure how I would have responded because it, my story was, was, you know, attached to these identities um and now i'm that's still something i'm trying to unlearn you know mm -hmm. um but i certainly did see you know it was kind of interesting to be uh, a woman of color during sort of the george floyd stuff uh stuff but you know and all the protests and, and that type of thing with a white family 
you know who what was that like like what what did you experience uh, that you didn't experience prior to that incident what did you experience um watching people and their awakenings you know and different <laughs> waking up at different different part uh points on this whatever scale i'm thinking of like mm -hmm. it was um different capacities i think um and seeing what i thought was the easy way you know like a lot of people going like how do i support you through money or reading an article and then how do i support you so what like with what was camille saying like how can i use my privilege or privileges to actually assist you or organizations that you you know might recommend or you know that type of a thing mm -hmm. thing is is i was also unlearning at that point i was also raised by a white family <laughs> You know what I mean? It's not like I didn't yeah. understand. I never thought that I had privilege because I felt like the one who was not privileged in mm -hmm. this family. Mm -hmm. Right. But then, and I also had the protection of that family growing up, you know, in a very white town and a very white school and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. So it just, it, I felt like I got a ton of clarity um, that I didn't have before. And I watched my family also get clarity. I also saw some people shut down, yeah. you know, um, I didn't take that very personally because at times I also wanted to shut down, you know, or I also disassociated, like, I don't want to have to watch all of this murder shit online. I'm just going right. to watch Netflix. That's right. <laughs> you know? That's right. And I didn't know that, I, as Evan was saying, I didn't have the, um, the language for it, but I definitely learned, I think, quickly to how to attune and what I needed to attune to in order to feel safe and like I could move forward and, and it was, it felt so big at the time. Mm -hmm. I, obviously it still feels big. Racism feels big, <laughs> you know, or systems of oppression feel big, but I try not to focus on the giant part that I personally can't really, you know, pull down. I'm, I really am trying to focus on the, the actual parts that I can do. That's right. Dismantle That's things right. within my own community, my own life. Your own you know, life, yeah, your own stories, right? My own relationships, like, I think it, it used to feel like if I did that, I was giving up on the <laughs> bringing down the big bad, right? And now um, that isn't actually my job. <laughs> mm. Like, mm. I'm, I'm invested in it, and I'm invested in doing it together with a community, but like really putting all of that on me or on, on any one person, on any one group. Cause you know, I see a lot of people being like, white people have to undo this in order for us to all move forward. Yep. Like, well, I can't wait for every freaking white person. Nope. <laughs> not gonna, not gonna happen. Not gonna happen. And agree. Like that's not, that's not what I'm waiting for. Well, when you were saying about, I saw people shut down, you know, <laughs> and I was thinking of how Camille earlier was saying like one person over here in rage, one person over here fawning performatively. We're still just talking about the capacity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, trauma response awakens when capacity is reached. And so there, there's this lovely ideology, like everyone should do their work and get to this place where they don't have unconscious bias or they, you know, they're not racist or they're not sexist. They're not against whites. They're not against blacks. All these, it's not going to happen because capacity, like right. there's not one level of capacity everyone reaches at once. It, you said it beautifully, like this, this scale that you're looking at of when certain people woke up to certain things, they did it in their time. Mm -hmm. It goes back to Camille, the ability to respond. Like we 
this is i think it's the hardest thing for people to get it was hard for me i should say it was hard for me to get this like to accept it i got it but to accept it like my ability to respond isn't in my control all the time that's really humbling because when you think your ability to respond is in your control, that to me is where the white guilt and all these other things come in. Because then you think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I fight every day? Why can't I watch 10 murder videos in a row and prove that I can endure pain like you have? It's like, because capacity, because you, you've you've lived, you've hit your threshold of your ability to even feel your body. So if you're not feeling your body, what are you even responding to? Right? Well, Oh, sorry. I no, no, go ahead, love. Tell me. What, I was just going to say that because the 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 word that keeps coming up for me is meat. That's kind of what I've turned to, which is mm -hmm. like wherever you are or wherever someone is on their journey, whether it's a journey or not, like, can I meet them there? Mm. Um, and because that's not trying to change them and that's not trying to like fix them and it's not putting the onus on me, but I can say no <laughs> like i don't want to meet that person there yeah you know? and that's um, part of meeting them isn't it like when camille was saying even about like you know like the i the, the hypothetical of okay the racist store owner putting up something that says black lives matter so i feel like they care when maybe they don't they're just doing it performatively right it's like meeting them where they are that's what meeting them where they are would look like you meet okay they have a racial stereotype i'm meeting them where they are that looks like me not going there and yeah. so it's like you can't even meet someone where they are if you don't know where they are. <laughs> and that's part right. of the the embodiment. I don't want to say verses, but you have embodiment and you have ideology. And ideology is like excellent. It's something to strive toward. It's like we've been playing with this idea of building capacity or tending to it. Like building capacity is ideology. I, I, I ideally would like to speak in front of a thousand people. That's, you know, that's my building capacity to speak in front of a thousand people. What's my body actually doing? as I'm taking steps to get there? Am I bypassing all that because I'm just focused on the idea? Or am I actually pausing and getting humbled by the, the bigger universal energy of my body saying like, you hit capacity, it's not your fault, that's just where your capacity is. Um, where do you go with that, Camille? Like when people really want to, even like if we remove the word privileges for a moment, just so people can kind of get a bigger sense of it outside of that, that term, people that just want to help people, they just want to be accountable. They just, you know, for any situation they're in and they're at capacity, they can't respond. They lack the ability to respond, especially from doing the trauma work. Where do you go with that now? Yeah. So, so titration, you know, I love that word, like baby steps. So even first, just noticing, um, like it, it, during the midst of uh, everything that that's happened um, recently, you know, with George Floyd, there were a lot of people who said like, oh, I just had no idea. I didn't know. OK, so so be it. So what does it mean to now begin to educate yourself? Maybe it's I read an article or maybe it's I watch a movie and it doesn't have to be like, oh, you know, a really, really um I was going to say horrible or dramatic movie. Like, if you want to know more about LGBTQ, LGBTQ plus people, can you watch like a really dramatic, probably heart-wrenching movie? Yeah. Or you can watch RuPaul's Drag Race. And so maybe that's the way you titrate into it. And you begin Work, to listen to the, the, okay. And, you know, listen to the jokes, watch, watch, look at the fashions and hear the stories in between. And so maybe that's how you begin to titrate into it. And as your capacity for their experiences with marginalization expands, maybe then you do start reading out magazines. So there's some going to be some articles in there that maybe go into depth into about some 
occasions or instances or situations you weren't aware of. And so now you learn more. And then maybe as your capacity expands, then you can watch that movie where they really go into detail about forms of marginalization and so on. So this is how you begin to titrate in. And similarly, just like with the having the ability to respond, the first thing before even responding is we have to have awareness. Can I begin to notice, oh, did somebody just say and do a microaggression in front of me? Oh, did somebody hold somebody to a different standard? Are they acting on a bias? Do I have the awareness to begin to notice that? Start there first. And then you can begin to titrate into, can I call them in, not call them out? This is another thing. This isn't about wagging the finger at someone or trying to get them to change their mind. But can I invite them to be curious? Can I say, oh, can you help me understand? Can I share with them my own experiences? Can I reflect to them? I used to say and do something similar. And then I realized that. Or I used to say and do something uh, like that. And someone shared with me X, Y, Z. These are, this is how we begin to titrate. Again, for me, being an ally or an advocate isn't like banging your fist on the table or waving your, your fist in the air and crying, this is injustice. This, this is oppression. <laughs> but what does it really mean to interject Little by little, each and every day, points of curiosity. Yeah, and when you're saying the call-in piece, I'm hearing there's nuance to that even because the individual has to consent, right? Like, if I'm yes. calling you in, I can't just be like, you must answer my call. It's like, exactly. that's, that, that's controlling and dominating. But if I'm like, there's something I'm noticing. Do you want to learn about that with me? I could even be wrong, but do you want to see what I'm seeing? That person has to consent. They have to give you permission. They have to capacity. Yes. There's like so much on their end, which just furthers this 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 word like urgency. For everyone listening, when there's urgency involved in what we're talking about, you're in trauma response, mm -hmm. and I and I respect it. Sometimes it feels really urgent. Sometimes it actually is really urgent. Most of the time, it's not. It's it's a it's a sensation that's driving you to perform and try to fix things. So there, there we have to also invite a slowness with this process of like if I'm noticing something about somebody they don't want to hear, I have to give them time to even build the capacity to be able to hear that, rather than I'm going to tell you right now and you should have the perfect response. And if you don't, you know you're this 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 this. Yes, and the other part of that urgency that I invite people to notice about themselves is. Am I sharing this with the intent to bring it to their awareness or am I sharing this with the intent to get them to change their mind and agree mm, with me? Yeah. If it's the latter, mm. again, that's a signal that you're, you're probably in a threat response because my your sense of safety, the body's sense of safety is going to be contingent. If this person doesn't agree, if I don't convince them, then I'm not safe. Mm, and so pausing good. and slowing and noticing, am I in a place of curiosity or am I in a place of judgment? Am I, am I in a place of sharing? Am I seeking to share or am I seeking to, to persuade? This is what we want to notice. Mm. Well, this is really good. I had I had so much fun uh, diving into this and pulling this apart. There, there's so much more in here that's, uh, you know, birthing itself in my mind that I want for another, you know, the next session. But um, let's close out on something. What should we close out on? I don't know. I don't know either. I feel like we need like a closer, like something. Like, you know, like, like one time, I forget one of you asked, like, if you could blow up anything with the honey, I blew up the kid thing at Thanksgiving dinner. What, what would it be? Should we just go to that one or should we go to something, uh, <laughs> something else? Oh, I know. Why don't we close with a privilege we're really grateful for? Gratitude for our journey. For my journey. And you have to say that voice. 
I thought of mine is because um, I have bum kidneys mm. health insurance, mm. which I did not have for most of my life. Oh, I love that. Where do you and feel I, it? They don't do have to think about everywhere. It's just like complete know. relief all the time. Because I remember when I did not have health insurance or when I could not pay for medication. And yeah, it's been, it's something I don't have to think about. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I am grateful for my um, editor privilege. I'm like Evan, because as I'm sitting here, I'm like, I don't have to do a damn thing. Like, <laughs> we're going to get off this call. He's going to scour the, the audios. He's going to edit them. He's going to put in the course ad. He's going to put it on Buzzsprout. He's going to put it on later for Instagram. Like, that's a lot that I used to have to do. And I'm like, wow. So I feel so grateful for that. Thank you, Evan. I can't wait to hear Evan's privilege. <laughs> Me too. Let's just pause and look at Evan. What's your privilege? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> look at me. So do you do a lot of podcast stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I would say that mine is definitely um, being housed. And I mean, it's kind of been mentioned already before, but like running water. Mm. And there's there's been periods in my life where I have had housing like instability. Um, and there was actually like a year where I didn't have um, any running water. And I remember like I rented an apartment and I walked in and I just remember like hugging the toilet. And being like, oh my mm. God, this mm. is the most amazing thing. Oh. Like I never thought about it before then. And I was like, this is, I, 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 I will never unsee it. So I think that's a really beautiful example of like once you see it, it's, you can't unsee it. Mm. my se therapist just kicked in because when you when you train you practice se a lot you really work on the resonance so when someone's mm. like explaining and moving you embody it and i became the toilet and started hugging myself <laughs> <laughs> hey, thank you for that experience what about you camille um so I, i'm gonna say one of my favorite privileges is that i'm autistic and muslim but most people can't tell that when looking at me mm -hmm. so i really like kind of dropping the bombs sometimes like <laughs> especially like and there was a time in my life where that, that was actually terrifying but now i kind of like with, with itself i'm just like oh guess what i'm autistic oh, oh guess what i'm muslim and then <laughs> it's just a really interesting experience that follows afterwards <laughs> that's such a good answer right mm -hmm. i like to drop and see what happens yeah. in their body i'm like I'm... potentially <laughs> triggering people with my privileges <laughs> cool right. <laughs> i love it <laughs> thank you all this was excellent till next time actually one more closer those of you listening we have just begun recording these with a live audience if you want to be part of that live audience you have to join the library or community membership and you can only join the community if you take the course at the library you can go join right now evan my, my editing privilege evan will just put the link right there you can join it if you want but now we're going to hop off and have a half hour with our audience and see what they're thinking what's coming up in their bodies we're not going to record that okay so we're going to take off everyone want to say bye bye bye, bye. everybody Next week is a really big week for us because our fall course opens for registration on Thursday, October 5th, and the somatic experience begins on Saturday, the 7th. So let me tell you what's going on here. The course is a six-week course that starts at the end of October. Registration opens on the 5th, and it goes for two weeks. 
So you can register next Thursday if you want to join the course and you'll be enrolled and I'll see you and we'll have a great six week experience. In addition to that, or instead, or if you're course curious and you're not really sure what you want to do, we are hosting the Somatic Experience. This takes place on Saturday, October 7th, so just coming up pretty soon. It's a four-hour live immersive experience with me and my team from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, October 7th, and it's incredible. It's going to be this amazing lineup of teaching you for free, 100% free, the foundation of healing trauma and stress somatically and holistically. We're going to navigate burnout and self-sabotage. We're going to talk about using food to support trauma and stress healing. We're going to teach you how to build capacity for joy and pleasure. And then we're going to integrate three hours of this learning and practicing and being with each other through a live sound healing that Evan's going to perform followed by a Q&A with me and my staff. It's going to be a really incredible, generous experience for all of us. And whether you're going to join us for the fall course or not, please register for this. Tell your friends. Just come and have a big party with us. It's going to be like a big online trauma healing festival. So all the information you need for these two things, the course and this free experience, the somatic experience, is all in the episode details and at my website, holisticlifenavigation.com. We'll see you there. So that's the end of today's episode. Notice where you feel the episode inside of your body. Those sensations, those expressions. That's how your body speaks to you. Sit with it. Be with it and let whatever wants to come up, come up. Because all the wisdom you're looking for is right there in those sensations. If you want to go deeper into these practices or find more information about my work, please visit holisticlifenavigation.com. I'll see you next time. Hello everybody, it is the time of year to begin registering for one or two of my slow groups that begin in July. My slow groups are these special groups where I focus on one topic and we deeply unpack it over the course of six months. So these are highly nuanced, deep dive, advanced groups. These are excellent for those of you who have taken my six week course or who just want to focus on one particular topic through a somatic and trauma-informed lens. The two that are opening up in July, or will begin in July, are my Embodied Parenting Group and my Embodied Nutrition Group. The Embodied Parenting Group is just like it sounds, learning how to parent from your body, learning how to ground yourself in your parenting so you're not parenting from a reactive, triggered place, but from a much more conscious place so you can actually find joy in your parenting instead of it being a total hellscape like some of you have told me it is and I've experienced it myself. The other group is an embodied nutrition group. This has been requested for years. For the past four years after students complete my course, they say, can you please do a course on nutrition and make it longer than six weeks? So finally, I can say, yes, you can, and I can, and I did. 
It is a six-month unpacking of the intersection between trauma, nutrition, and somatics. How do we recover from stress and trauma via food? How do we relate to food as a being and not just some object on the plate? What's the biochemistry of food? Why is it not the best for my blood sugar to have toast, but lentils are just fine if they're both carbohydrates? All of this and more will be unpacked in this six-month group. To register for these groups, please go to my website, holisticlifenavigation.com, and click Groups. Or you can click the link in the episode details below. Registration closes on June 1st. It is only open through May because we need the month of June to prepare everybody for July. I'm looking forward to this deep dive with you all. I'll see you there.